we are in a, a new season for our church, if you will. God, would be, God spoke to me and showed me at the beginning of the year, He really wanted us to begin to focus on His Spirit, the Holy Spirit and uh, glory and you know, just moving forward with that. So we've been doing that this year so far, and uh, we are in the realm of talking about His glory. And uh, you know, we started out talking about uh, His Spirit, Holy Spirit, and um, glory is... And, you know, we've been teaching on it, but uh, the Holy Spirit is manifest in God's glory. It's, it's uh, God's glory is an amazing, awesome, magnificent thing. But, you know, it wasn't very long ago that I kind of began to wonder about the glory of God as, as we were doing this. And I'm studying the Holy Spirit and kind of looking at glory. And there's a lot of things that begin to talk about glory. So a- after I was beginning to wonder about glory, I, I felt very clear God revealed to me a very specific scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 10. Um, Verse 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And if you skip to verse 7, Jesus says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Uh, just real quick, a side note, as we move forward through this, the, the notes and the scriptures are going to be in, uh, on the app, our church's app, which, uh, by the way, you can download that app if you go to Lantana app, or text the words Lantana app to 77977, but um, also the YouVersion Bible app can uh, get you to the same place and find the scriptures and stuff. So back to the scripture, when I read this passage, it was like God stopped me and he showed me that this is what he wants to do for our church. And it took me back a little bit because um, he says that we should preach the kingdom of heaven has come near and then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. We're talking about wonderful, magnificent, uh, large signs and revelations of, of his glory, really. So as I'm thinking about God's glory and then I read this scripture, I put it together and realize that this is, this is all about God's glory. It, it's for God's glory that these things happen. The miracles, the, the healings, the uh, driving demons out, those things happen in His glory. And it's what makes His glory possible. So understanding glory, excuse me, it's not what makes His glory possible. It happens in His glory and it reveals His glory. But understanding all this is so important for us as a Christian. It's important that we understand glory because it's not about us. We live in a very egocentric society and, and everybody makes everything about them. But it's really about God. God's glory is, if you remember, we defined it, the singular splendor of God and its consequence for mankind. To describe the glory of God, it would be easier to look at his, uh, the his characteristics rather than just trying to give a broad definition. So uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit. We talked about Shekinah glory, which is the dwelling presence of God. That's awesome. That's, you know, his spirit dwells within his glory. It's the dwelling presence. It is what happened when um, the the fire, the pillar of fire was leading the Israelites. That was the Shekinah glory, the, the dwelling glory. We also came to the conclusion that, and this is interesting, it's in God's glory that miracles happen, but they also happen for His glory. God's presence exists in His glory and His glory in His presence. If we're going to feel what God wants for this church, then we have to change the status quo. 
things can't stay the same. If we are going to do what God has said he wants to do for us. So last week then we turned our attention to Jesus a little bit. If we're going to look at Jesus, what kind of glory might we see? Well, we found out that it's exactly the same as if we were looking at the Father. Jesus revealed his glory first at the wedding in Cana. Remember, the revelation was, it wasn't for his mother, it wasn't for the wedding guests or the bystanders. John says that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the revelation was for his disciples. And just like the disciples, we are on a faith journey. We're growing with God. We're, we're journeying with him. And, and as they grew in faith, his glory was revealed. It really works both ways. As glory was revealed, their faith grew. And as their faith grew, they saw more of his glory. And that's really what we want for this church. We want to see more of God's glory. So today we find ourselves at this point. God's glory is miracle-causing, faith-altering. His glory is imparted and revealed through His Son and is in turn reparted to and revealed through us. It's, it's amazing and it's awesome. I think as Christians, though, we don't embrace His glory. I just think we don't. I, I think I don't know why, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So, so now that we know what His glory is, how do we get in on that? How do we get in on His glory? I'm going to read a scripture today in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. Uh, and thanks to the tech team, we'll have it right here on our on our screen, and it should be on your screen at home as well. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, uh, excuse me, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been dead four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is uh, maybe one of the most famous portions of Scripture, one of the most famous things that Jesus did. We all know about him raising Lazarus from the dead. I want to dig in a little bit um, to, to help us understand what's going on here. So if we look at before the Scripture, in John there's a few events that lead up to this. Um, when Lazarus died, Jesus was away. He was in a different place. But he had the opportunity to come back. In fact, he could have been back while Lazarus was still alive. Because while he was alive, he received word from Mary that Lazarus was sick. And it's really strange. Jesus said this, if you, if you go back a little bit to verses 4 and 7, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. 
He, he stayed there where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. It's interesting, right? So when Lazarus was sick, what did he do? He stayed. He sta- that doesn't make any sense because it says when he heard this, Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. So when Lazarus was sick, he stayed? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, how many of you, somebody that you love, you found out was sick, even to the point of dying, and you're going to say, well, I'll go see him when I can see him. It's going to be fine. That's exactly what Jesus did. When Lazarus was sick, he stayed. It didn't make any sense. When he arrived in Bethany then, so this is all kind of before him raising Lazarus. Lazarus. So he arrived in Bethany then. Martha met him and, and he, away from the house a little bit. And, and she said, I, I agree. I know that you can raise him. I know that you can do that. Acknowledging that Jesus was powerful enough to heal her brother. I'm not sure she ever really imagined that he would raise him from the dead. Martha told Mary, hey, Jesus is here. So Mary ran out. And it's interesting in in that part that Mary comes out and initially she says, oh, Jesus, you know, and she begins to, to confess a belief in Jesus and in who he is. But then if you read that part of the scripture, everybody catches up to her. They, they realize she had left, the, the, those who are mourning with her. And then she begins to mourn with them. So she kind of takes a step back away from the belief that she was confessing. That's kind of what's happening before. And, but if you look after, this miracle was kind of the end of it for Jesus. It, it was so mighty and, and impressive that it, it troubled quite a few people. Some people believed in Jesus because of this miracle, but Others went to the Pharisees and told them, hey, this, this guy, Jesus, he's doing these crazy miracles. So the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish court, to discuss what to do with Jesus. We don't know what we're going to do with Jesus. We're, we need to figure this out. And if you read earlier in the scripture, they, they wanted to kill him, but it was actually at this meeting that they decided that's what they would do. Because of this plot then, after this was like his last public Miracle. After this, he stayed in, in hiding until the Jewish Passover, which was kind of the beginning of the road to the cross. That for Jesus, I can only imagine the number of emotions because, you know, he's fatigued. It's been a long couple of nearly three years. He's, he's had this uh, intense conversations with so many people. And, and then Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who he, he really did deeply care for. Lazarus has died. There's that emotion. Then there's Mary, who takes kind of a step towards Jesus and then kind of steps back. And he's like, Mary, I've been with you all this time. Don't you know what's going on? Like all these emotions with Jesus, he steps up and he says, um, I just think he got frustrated. If you look in verse 38, I, it says that um, it says that he, it was a stern scolding. Jesus once more deeply moved. That word, deeply moved. It is really a word that means to be upset in the Greek. It means to insist sternly, to scold, or to, to feel strongly. Basically, Jesus knew. See, in verse 37, they were murmuring, well, if he loved him so much, he could have just came and healed him. But he didn't heal him. And then he comes, and all this other stuff's going on. And I think he just was frustrated. Because the word that is used there is upset. To insist, to, to, to scold. It, it's... It's interesting. 
Basically, he walks in and he just takes control. He takes command of the entire situation. You've been to funerals, and in funerals at this time, they were, th- there was obviously mourning and stuff that, that was going on, but they mourned differently. They're wailing, and they're, they're loudly crying, and they're, they're gathered together, and all this is going on. And Jesus walks in, and it's like a chaotic scene, and he just, he just takes control. He takes over. Verse 39, Martha didn't believe. She was saying, um, in verse 39, she's saying, uh, you can't do this. You don't have the authority to do this. Don't you understand? He's been dead for four days. He stinks, Jesus. We know from other scriptures that he had raised two others from the dead, but Lazarus had been dead for a while. The two others were kind of just barely have died. They, they didn't really know if he could, they didn't believe he could do this. And if you look at verse 40, it's kind of my key verse for today. Jesus said, didn't I say Didn't I tell you? He's been dealing with so much skepticism in chapter 11 that he's just frustrated. The end of ministry for a few years, and he's just frustrated. But he's taking control. He comes in, and he says, man, you guys, didn't I say? Let's let's do this. Then he he changes from an in-charge, verses 41 and 42, he changes from an in-charge kind of guy to a dependent kind of guy. His tone changes if you, if you really dig into it and read it. He realizes that he doesn't do these things on his own. And he says, the scripture says, so that others would know that it was his father who sent him. He prays and he says, I need your help, Father. Jesus is modeling how we as Christians can live a spirit-sourced life. You see, there's a time to take control. There's a time to bring calmness. There's a time to to say, you know what? The world is crazy right now. People are looking for for a stability, and it's our job as Christ followers to do that. If you read 2 Timothy, Paul says he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Like It's our duty as Christ followers to not panic, to to not be afraid. Now listen, fear is going to come. Panic is going to creep in. But it's a Spirit-sourced Jesus follower who can say, Holy Spirit, man, I, in my human nature, the world's going crazy. Businesses are shutting down. Things are nuts. I don't know what's going on around us, but I just need you, Spirit. A peace that passes understanding. So Jesus walks in. He's, he, he's been a take-charge guy. Now he kind of shows dependence, modeling for us how to be spirit-sourced. Verse 43, Jesus cried out into a dead man's tomb with a loud, authoritative voice. It gives me goosebumps to think. Can you imagine? He says, roll the stone away. Jesus, you can't do it, man. He's been dead for four days. It doesn't matter. Roll the stone away. Here we go. Lazarus cries out into the tomb. He didn't need to do that. He could have just snapped his fingers. But this way, everybody knows, Lazarus, come on out, man. And here he comes, Lazarus, hands bound, feet bound around his face. The dead man, four days, already began to stink from decomposition. And here he comes. Gives me goosebumps, man. I I just, I get excited about that. But see, I think we get caught up in the emotion of the moment. Because that miracle was not about Lazarus being raised to the life. That miracle was not about Lazarus walking out of the tomb. 
That's not what that miracle was. And I think because for Lazarus, was it really truly better for him to come back to life where someday he's going to die again? Is that better for Lazarus? Probably not. Jesus' action was to reveal the glory of God. In the Greek, it says, doxa tu theo. Doxa tu theo, the glory of God. To reveal the doxa tu theo so that everybody around him would believe. The glory of God would be revealed. That's what the miracle was for. It was for nothing else. I mean, it was not so that Lazarus could be raised from the dead. That's awesome. What a great story we have to tell. But this is where I think we get mixed up sometimes. It's not about the miracle. It's about revealing God's glory. So what can we learn from this? Most importantly, we want God's glory to fall. We need His glory to fall because without His glory, those things don't happen. And it's been, a th- I, I think, for years, decades even, we look at the church and we think, God, where's your glory? Where's the miracles? Where are people being called back to life? Where are the lives that are being changed? Where are the, the people that are demon-filled being set free? Where do we see those things? It's got to happen in God's glory. For this to happen, we must believe. So I've got about seven minutes left, and I want to tell you that, that to focus on two things for us to take away. Two things to take away. I think we've all agreed we want God's glory. We want it to be here. We want, I want the time that we gather back together and we are physically together again for God's glory to fall in such a way that it stops what we're doing. For God's glory to change our perception. There's two, th- there's two things here. First is the have-nots. Let's talk about them for a minute. We want to see God's glory, right? But we aren't. Not like this. And Jesus kind of took our excuses away when he says that we'll do even greater things. Well, how many times have we seen greater things than somebody being raised from the dead? We want to see God's glory, but we aren't. What's the problem? Jesus says we have to believe. That's today's message title, to believe. Apparently, I guess we just don't believe, right? There's some other things that are going on, though. So first is distractions. You see right here, distractions. In in this case, death was a distraction. You you see it there. Um, Everybody's kind of distracted by what's going on. Well, he could have healed him if he wanted. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Well, maybe not. Like things are going on. There were distractions going on. They were distracted from the power of God because of what was going on right in front of them. Sometimes life distracts us. Sometimes life stinks like Lazarus. Sometimes life is great. We have to look beyond the distractions. And focus on Jesus. Focus on the Holy Spirit. The second thing is unbelief. Do we really believe? Are we believing in Him? Imagine you are there. Jesus, we know you have raised the dead. Like right after they died. Man, can you do this one? Like this is a big deal, Jesus. Like the other ones, that maybe they were just 
really sick, you know. Maybe they were just, Jesus knew about CPR or something. I don't know. Like, we can make all these excuses. This, Lazarus dead four days, bound up, put in the tomb. He, he was dead, man. Seriously, who can raise the dead? That might be what we say. We might look at Jesus and say, oh, who can heal me? Who really can heal me? I need some healing. Who can do it? Who can radically change that guy's heart? Like, I know that you can probably change This guy's not so bad. This one over here, mm mm-mm. Like, we have unbelief. We doubt what he can do. Listen, these things are happening in our church. In the lives of people around us, they're being changed. Hearts are being changed. People are being set free from addiction. I think that we're, we're missing those things. We're missing God's glory. Each event that we can see chips away at the unbelief. Maybe we're scared. Maybe there's fear. I want to read Revelation chapter 4. There's a few scriptures here. Sometimes... When I think about God, and you might be the same, this is, this is the, the image I have. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Just paint this word picture with your mind, Okay. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around that throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you're like me, that image scares you, man. Sometimes when I close my eyes to pray and I begin to imagine God, I I see this image and I hear, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, never stopping, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, creatures flying around, a sea of glass as clear as crystal, lightning and thunder, like that's a magnificent awesome, incredible, large image of God. And it scares me. Maybe, maybe it scares you too. Who, who wouldn't that scare? But listen, you have to understand that that is who God is. This is who God is. If we're going to follow Him, this is who we're following. And let me just encourage you, when you close your eyes to pray next time, maybe that would cause you to pause and pray with a little more reverence. Maybe we don't use God so much whenever we say, oh my goodness, think about that. Maybe, maybe we have that fear because of who God is. Maybe we have a fear because we're worried our life will change. Well, isn't that the point? Either we follow God or we don't. It's, it's not like sweet tea. I mean, 
I love sweet tea, and I, when it gets sweet enough, I stop putting the sugar in, you know? And we treat God that way. The Holy Spirit, hey, Holy Spirit, I need a little bit. Can you just sweeten me up a little bit? Just some. That's not the way it works, man. With the Holy Spirit, it's all in or it's not at all. All right, this is the last of the have-nots. Um, you know, maybe it's about us. <laughs> How awesome would it be to have a church that the miracles happen in? People begin to, hey, that's the church where miracles happen. Or, hey, how, how great to be known as the pastor who prays for miracles happen. Or, or to be the Christian and you, hey, let's go, have, let's go have the Christian pray because, man, miracles happen when they pray. See, I think that's, I, I think that's wrong thinking. I, because it's not about us. It's about God. It's not about the miracle. It's about the glory of God being shown. It, when, we, when we're here and we're worshiping, when I'm speaking, it's not about us. It's about the glory of God being shown. If it's about us, then God's glory will not be present. And if it becomes about us, then God's glory will leave us. It's about the doxa tu theao. Remember that, the glory of God. Doxa tu theao. It's about Him. The have-nots. We can't be self-centered. All right, so let's talk about the haves. I got three. What do we have to do to have the glory? Let's look at Jesus' model, okay? Jesus gave us a specific model. First, He was bold. He was bold. He prayed for it. He believed it. He, he knew that God would do it. One of the ways he knew is because he was in God's will, and he knew what God's will was. Look how he spoke to the dead man's tomb. We have to speak boldly with assurance that we're following Jesus, and, and we need to listen quickly. What I mean by that is don't say, okay, I'm going to go pray. Give me about a month, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll hear God by then. Jesus, he's going to talk to me. It's going to take me a few weeks. Listen quickly. I've been in situations, especially recently, where I've been talking with somebody and I'm praying, oh God, I need your help. Like right now, Jesus, talk to me. Give me the words to say. Help me to know what to do. Listen quickly. Right now. Jesus isn't hiding from us. Second thing, we must remember that this is not for our glory or benefit. Even Jesus, who could have taken the glory of God, because he is God, right? But when he was Jesus, he, he decided, we read last week, he decided to put aside the glory, to put, it, to put it aside. And he became a conduit of God's glory, a spirit-sourced human. Even Jesus understood that it was for God's glory. In verse 4, he said, Lazarus' sickness wouldn't end in death. And it didn't. But it was for God's glory, for no other reason. And third is this, we need to believe so deeply, believe so deeply that we feel like Jesus when others don't. That, what I mean is that we become deeply moved like Jesus was, that, that we, we just know and we just believe, like we have to believe deeply. That, that idea has to permeate us so that it becomes part of who we are to our very depths of our being. We have to believe deeply. Listen, we're going to close here and 
The band's going to come up. We're going to close with a song here in a moment. But I want to tell you this. I know the will, of, the will of God. He shared with me what He wants for us. And He wants to show His glory. He wants to show His glory. This is how He's made known. This is, this is how it happens. God's glory is revealed through Jesus and in turn through us. All we have to do is believe. Will you believe with me? And that's my question this morning. Will you believe with me? Will you, and I don't know if you remember the story, we talked about uh, the, the circle maker, the, the legend of Honey, and he drew a circle and he, he stood in it and he prayed, oh God, would you send your rain That's what I want to do for us. I, I, I'm drawing a circle around us. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, God, would you send your glory? Would you send your glory? Are you, are you willing to do that with me? Will you draw a circle around this church for me, with me? I know that we can't be here in person right now, but just wherever you're at, just mentally begin to think, God, we want you to send your glory. We want to be part of the haves. Those who have it. Who believe in Jesus. That's all we have to do. We just have to believe it. God, this morning, we're just asking that you would send your glory. We are asking, Father, that you would Man, your Shekinah glory, your, your dwelling presence, Holy Spirit, would you just fill this place where I am and the place where every person is this morning? Holy Spirit, show us your glory. Reveal it to us. Your indwelling glory. That's what I want. That's what I want for this church. And, and not just so that we see miracles. Yes, I want to see them. I think that that's going to be awesome. But Father, I want to keep my mind right, my spirit right. It's for your glory so that people can see and they can believe and they can know, oh my goodness, look what Jesus can do for me. Look at how my life can be changed with the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm asking. Show us your glory. We're standing in our circle today saying, show us your glory. Yeah. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.